Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast of the Irish Embassy. It's great to have you all here. We're going to do a bit more of a conversational podcast today to discuss our recent visit to Newfoundland. So I have Ambassador Eamon McKee with me here. Hi Eamon, how are you? Great to be sharing this with you, Sally. Thanks so much. So the embassy went to Newfoundland for just under a week last week. It was a fantastic visit, uh, middle of May, pretty good weather. Um, the first question I want to ask you is, why do we do visits like this? Why are they important to the embassy's work? Yeah, I mean, all embassies uh, do visits, but I think in, in Canada, because you've got the provincial system, it's really important to go to each of the provinces because they're very distinct onto themselves. They have their own governance. Uh, you've got the lieutenant governor, the premier, and you've got the assemblies, but they all have their own character. Um, and uh, I don't think you can really understand Canada if you just you just stay in, in, in Ottawa. You have to get out to the provinces, you know. I think as well, being in Ontario, I think a lot of the time you hear that Ontario is the centre of Canada, but really what we found on these visits is that we're putting pieces of the puzzle together and we're really understanding not just the Canadian story, but the Irish story. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a good analogy. Um, you know, the different pieces to the jigsaw that make up Canada. Um, and of course, some have more Irish in them than others. Uh, we have obviously uh, the Quebecois and the Francophone. Uh, I mean, the Canadian Constitution talks about there being, there being, you know, the, the French and the British. Uh, famous book written on the the two solitudes. Of course, you could uh, you could say the three solitudes because we have to include the indigenous that 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 uh, pervade Canada uh, before and after uh, colonization. Um, but yeah, it really is vital to get out there and, and piece all of this together. And on that note, I guess, why Newfoundland? What piece of the puzzle does Newfoundland bring for us? Well, you know, in coming to Canada, I have to say that Newfoundland loomed large. I mean, I think we both felt, and I think the embassy team always felt that, there's a draw to Newfoundland because of the connection with Ireland. Uh, it's, it's physically the closest to Ireland uh, across the great kind of high North Atlantic. Um, we're aware of the, the, I mean, literally the travel from Ireland to Newfoundland going back hundreds of years, um, back indeed to the, uh, to the 16th century. Um, and there's a tremendous Irish history there. Some of that history quite difficult, actually, in terms of the discrimination against Catholics. Um, but really, Newfoundland loomed large as a kind of spiritual home from home and, and, and really pulled, pulled us towards this delayed of course by the pandemic so that's why it's taken us so long to get there but i have to say it didn't disappoint in terms of the legendary depth of the irish heritage in in newfoundland you know i know you felt that too i think as well i always think about newfoundland now as the stepping stone uh, in terms of irish immigration they mm. they came here they made it a mini ireland and then they actually moved on and they became something else in canada so newfoundland has its own very similar to the irish story of people emigrating away from newfoundland and how that's shaped them that's right they even have uh, have the boaters they were known as the boaters the irish who were who were in newfoundland and settled and then moved down to nova scotia uh, and halifax for for jobs I mean, one of the things that I found very striking when we were driving over into uh, Hearts Content, for example, I mean, it looked like Connemara. I mean, literally, I was tempted to s take a photograph of the side of the road and people guess, where do you think this is? You, I would have said Connemara. Other parts, um, I think, reminded me of Wicklow. Uh, so I could see why the Irish felt at home there. You know, the landscape, the seascape, very, very similar to, to home. Uh, now, I know the, the western part of Newfoundland is much more dramatic, but certainly in the Avalon Peninsula, where most of the Irish are, it does feel physically like home, you know. 
I mean, Signal Hill looks exactly like Hoth. It's one of the things I commented when we were there. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you got these rocky outcrops and kind of short grass and, and bog, but it does look like it, you know. Um, but it's not just the landscape. I mean, the people you meet there, um, it is like going back to Ireland. I mean, we met, um, you know, Kieran, who's vice president of the, uh, the Benevolent Irish Society. Even when I knew he was from Fogo Island, I still couldn't distinguish his Irish accent from something slight. I couldn't say there was another ingredient there that was different. I mean, and that's quite astonishing, I think, that not only is Irish heritage preserved through the generations in, in families and in communities, the accent is, and we weren't even in some of the most Irish parts. And I think for me, it's that the accents have retained their county dialects. It's yeah. not just an Irish accent. You get a Waterford accent. You get a Wexford accent very strongly. The first few times I called Kieran planning the trip, the first time I said, oh, where in Ireland are you from? And he said, no, no, I'm from, <laughs> from Little Ireland. <laughs> I'm from Fogo. No, it's absolutely the case. And we met, of course, the, the great John Mannion and his wife, Moira. And John has been there most of his professional career. Um, and indeed into retirement. And as an Irish historian, and in fact, he described himself as a as a, uh, a kind of geographic historian, he's devoted himself to collecting the names, the surnames of the Irish in Newfoundland uh, and linking them back to their places of origin in Ireland. And that was a great uh, presentation by him. Uh, very proud to say that the, the department has funded him in his researches, and it's great to see this being digitized. I mean, he wrote these things down over the decades on, on cards and well-organized, but he also walked around the place meeting people and trying to get the stories. Fascinatingly, he said they have a thousand surnames, uh, Irish surnames in Newfoundland, which he said, if you had emigration from Connemara or Donegal, you wouldn't get that variety. The reason why you have so many is because they're coming from Waterford, Wexford, South Tipperary and Kilkenny. Um, and of course, that was the entry point for the Normans back in the 12th century. So not only do you have Gaelic names, you've got Norman names. Um, then, of course, the Normans also included Welsh uh, soldiers and soldiers of fortune and um, um, tenant farmers. You've got uh, Flemish as well, who were part of the Norman invasion. There was that uh, that connection too, like Prendergast would be a Flemish name. Um, so, uh, and of course, you've got English names, the English merchants who went in to take over Waterford, Wexford and Dublin and so on. So in a way, when you're collating the Irish surnames in Newfoundland, you're getting a slice of Irish history through those surnames and that mix, you know. But that was a fantastic project. Uh, it's going to reap benefits, you know, in terms of, of tracking the, the unique experience of the Irish coming across the Atlantic to Newfoundland. And it's good to have it written down because the Irish world, we are storytellers. We're sometimes not very good at historical records. So it's great to have that um, digitized and now moving to a new home this summer in Torbay. Yeah, yeah. And, and the museum there, they've taken over what was the priest's house and, and preserving the house and creating a museum there. They also have the display of the history of the Irish and its connection with Newfoundland in the rooms, which is a fantastic display. I mean, it's been there, what? Uh, 2009. So 2009, uh, and yeah. it's ageless. So really, that's, that's beautifully done. Um, the other uh, remarkable feature, I think, of St. John's, right beside the rooms and on the hill overlooking the town, is this Basilica of St. John's, which... I mean, I don't know what you felt, but walking into it, it is enormous. It is an incredibly grand and beautiful space built by essentially poor Irish farmer, uh, farmers and fishermen. Yeah, and with that lovely 
I always think of St. Bridget connection with the town telling them they could have as much land as they could fence off in one day. <laughs> Suddenly you got every Catholic pouring out to uh, to make sure that the church had a good bit of land. Well, you better explain the St. Bridget connection. Well, the St. Bridget connection, of course, was uh, she was told that she could have as much land as her, I think it cloak. depends, her cloak. Some people say handkerchief cover. Um, and she took it out and it continued to grow until it had covered all the land. Um, all of Kildare. So people learned their lesson, you know. Yeah, they did indeed. But it, it's also, I mean, the uh, the Archbishop, Archbishop of New York who came up for the opening apparently said, uh, oh, he says, if this is what a bunch of scruffy fishermen can achieve, think of what we'll do in New York. And he went on to establish St. Patrick's, you know. But it really is a measure of, the, of their faith and I think pride in their heritage that they put that effort into that church. I mean, they imported granite from Ireland for it. I mean, the, the Newfoundland is full of granite, but they had to have Ireland there, you know. So... Um, that was a that was a real thrill. And John Fitzgerald, who did his PhD in the history of the Basilica, was a fantastic guide to that heritage. And whether you're whether you're a Christian, atheist, or whatever you are, there's something really meaningful, I think, in the story of the Basilica and the society um, that dedicated themselves to to building it. You know. And even now, I think it speaks to community because even though it's not necessarily as religious as it once was, you know, the board of trustees are, are looking at making it more of a, a museum and again, a historical space. Again, it's about community. It's a group of people that are very passionate about the history of the Irish in Canada, the Irish in Newfoundland coming together and really making something of it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, on the other end of the, the spectrum, as it were, you have the O'Brien farm. Um, and um, I just, I, again, walking in there, the house itself is so Irish in its in its orientation and and and, and architecture. And um, but the welcome we had from the people, we had uh, cups of tea and and the biscuits and the scones and the buns. We had a wonderful talk and a tour. Um, but you might say something a bit about Ali O'Brien. Yeah, so Ali O'Brien uh, was third generation Ireland, I believe, um, Irish, I believe, and he. Um, just grew up in this house with his family and they'd maintained all of these Irish traditions. They'd maintained what is a very traditional Irish rural looking farm in the middle of St. John's suburbia now. Um, and he had grown up listening to his great aunt uh, speak Irish and really just loved the sound of it, thought it was really melodic. And he just taught himself Irish based on that. And mm. then he became a scholar of Irish in Newfoundland. He was teaching classes in the local university, very well regarded internationally as well for his Irish. Um, but also just, I think, that importance of protecting Irish culture and tradition. He was very keen on, um, I think, while being inclusive of his current community, making sure that he was still maintaining what Ireland was and what community was, which is, I think, a huge testament to him now is the O'Brien Farm, which is now, looking forward to the future, going to be, I think, a centre for learning about community and mm -hmm. sustainable farming as well. Um, but really beautiful to see his house and hear from people who knew him as well, because he sounds like he was just a really interesting guy. Yeah, very erudite as well as, as as a farmer, a man who loved his animals. You know, I think one of five brothers, none of them married, but uh, Shani and the volunteers have done a fantastic job there. I mean, Shani was saying to me that they, they've been planning this for the last 10 years. It's only in the last two years, even during the pandemic, that they've actually seen the progress uh, in in the in, in the built house, as it were. And what I loved as well was, was that they weren't turning the house into a museum. This is a house where you can make cups of tea and where you can sit down and where you can have a community event. But also the 30 acres th that comprise the farm is now you know, owned by the community, is, is kind of accessible by the community. So not only are they preserving heritage, 
but in the allotments and then growing in the veg and being exposed to nature, they're actually investing in the future. Uh, and and in you know in a, in a way, they're taking the old lessons from Irish farms of sustainability and self-sufficiency and saying, well, actually, for the future, this is this is a, another way of living than just walking down to the supermarket and buying your carrots when you could grow them in an allotment. And I know they so they've got the allotments organised. So yeah, that was that was wonderful to see the O'Brien farm, and we'd certainly recommend anybody who's in St John's to go and have a visit. It's lovely, you know. Absolutely, we heard they run a cheese making program as well at certain times of the year. So make sure you go by for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other one that I found fascinating was the visit to uh, Hearts Content. Um, where the transatlantic cable came up um, in in 1858, and I thought it was just amazing to stand on the on the coast and to see where those cables actually surfaced after their journey across the Atlantic. And then that was 1858. The successful one then was in uh, 1866, um, and they've done a fantastic job. The community there uh, uh, at the museum, which is the cable station itself, where this electric cable surfaced and the electric signal was turned into information. I couldn't believe actually how complicated it was. It's a it's a huge collection of machinery basically to turn this negative positive electrical pulse into messages. Done a fantastic job on the museum with a brilliant tour guide in the, in the form of Tara, Minister Steve Crocker, the Minister of Environment. Uh, it's his constituency. He came to meet us there. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. And um, you know, somebody mentioned that in a year before, in 1865, it took two weeks for Queen Victoria to hear the news about Abraham Lincoln's death. Yeah. If it had happened a year later, she would have heard it within hours. And at the time, of course, when that cable was successfully laid and messages conveyed everybody knew around the world this is this is globalization this is a, a complete paradigm shift because information and transportation is is now are now separate you can get instantaneous information um, and of course the cable if you were to grab one end of the cable and follow it in the uh, abyssal deeps of the atlantic you where will you pop up you will pop up on valencia island and where there is a cable station its counterpart you know and both of them have uh, have jointly applied to UNESCO to be a World Heritage Site. And we wish them best with that application because really it's impossible to think of the modern age of globalization without that cable, you know, and and that puts Valencia Island and and Newfoundland right at the heart of that. I was also fascinated to learn that the cable, the modern optic fiber cables that follow essentially that same track have displaced satellite communications. Everyone used to think satellite communications was that's the future. That's how information is going to be conveyed. Nope, it's not. It's what the Victorians did. It's a cable under the sea. And, and that's where we get all our information from. So great community endeavor there uh, and, and a great vision. And a wonderful museum, just something really to, to visit. Great museum, but I think also I loved hearing from Minister Crocker that um, what had happened with the UNESCO application was a reconnection of these two communities that had been, you know, very mm. much physically connected by a cable, but now we're connected through their passion for their history. And uh, I think that's a really nice project in itself. Yeah, and also uh, the other dimension too, which is trying to somehow convert this project into local economic and social development, because these are obviously, you know, they may have been the hubs for for, for globalization, but they were very remote projects, you know. Um, and tellingly, the, the the teams 
uh, of officers and, uh, who came to man the station and, and, and look after the machines and then interpret the information and pass it on, they were all imports. They weren't locals. And that's, that kind of created a legacy of, of, of division in a way that we wouldn't tolerate today. But yeah, wish them the best with that. I know you were very taken by uh, the airstrip. I was going to say our next connection, this yeah. is a story of connections in Newfoundland. Our next connection was uh, we went on a trip to uh, Harbour Grace to see the Amelia Earhart uh, airstrip where she took off from. And to be honest, I mean, I'm going to let you tell your mm. your story about how we how we came to be at that airstrip. But I think for me, I didn't know how moving I would find it until I was there. And then I had the same sense that I get sometimes in these really big historical places. You know, I went to the Supreme Court in D.C. and I had the same feeling of, you know, I'm standing somewhere that really means something and mm. meant something. The, the cable station was quite a similar feeling, I think. Um, but I didn't know that I would have it. So it was really nice to be there. Very inspirational, particularly as a young woman, I think, in, in a career path that, you know, typically yeah. has been quite male dominated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when uh, I think we were both struck by that standing on the, the the kind of the incline of 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 the airstrip. It's grass now. It was gravel when she did it. Here we have a young woman. You know, she's in that small hotel that we visited. She gets a flask of soup. We couldn't find out actually what soup was in. I don't know if that's recorded. I always think of it as tomato, but I've made that up. I was making up. I thought tomato first, and I was thinking well, that's probably a hearty vegetable. <laughs> but I don't know. But anyway. She goes off. They've pretended the mechanic is the pilot because who who would think of a woman getting on a plane that might stop her? Um, you know, it's made of wood and glue, effectively uh, linen and 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 a big engine up front. You can barely see out of it. Climbs into that machine uh, and heads off down the hill and takes off uh, on her own, no chance of rescue uh, across the mighty Atlantic. Uh, first woman to solo. Hits ice, headwinds, her manifold comes off, she's afraid the engine's going to go on fire. I think the ultimator breaks at one point, yeah. and she diverts from her intended uh, destination of Paris and lands successfully in Derry. Uh, I mean, it really is it really is something. And of course, uh, Harbour Grace has, is, a, is a location of enormous significance for early aviation, because yet again, the Atlantic was there as a challenge. But yeah, it was such a series of coincidences. I was writing a letter uh, to congratulate someone hitting 90 years of age, spent most of her life in Canada, big contr contributor to the Irish community in Ontario, Googled 1932, the year she was born. I said, well, what's going on? I can put something in this letter. Discovered Amelia Earhart had landed in Derry 90 years ago, pretty close to the time we have planned our visit to Newfoundland. I said, oh my God, that's, there's, a, there's a coincidence. I didn't even know this. I didn't get many headlines about it. And 90 years is a significant anniversary. Then uh, one of our uh, local staff here in the embassy said, oh, yeah, my aunt in Derry is a vice chair of the Amelia Earhart Legacy Association. I said, you're <laughs> kidding me. So we get in touch with her. She says, oh, yeah, we're in touch with Dan Coombs, the mayor in Harbour Grace. So we get in touch with him. And hey, Couldn't presto, have been more welcoming. we had a welcoming committee of the councilman and the mayor. Uh, and we did a bit of tic-tacking with the with the um, the legacy uh, group in, in Derry. And uh, yeah, it, at least it was our way, totally serendipitously, of, of honouring Amelia Earhart and, and her her courage in, in making that flight and making history. And I was I she crossed the Atlantic in record time. Yeah. You know, so. And it was nice to have the story out there because I think then, you know, on our accounts and in our kind of retelling of the story as well, we did get a lot of uh, publicity online mm -hmm. and on social mm -hmm. media. So I think a lot of people that 
again, might not have seen any headlines about it. Suddenly we're, we're made aware that this is where Amelia Earhart took off from. Yeah, and I think it's a story to tell your sons and daughters. You know, this is, you know, fear not, this is what, what, what young women of determination can do, you know. And uh, so it was great to add that, which just kind of popped in at the end of the program. And you very artfully made room, made room for it, which was great, you know. <laughs> I think uh, we moved on then from there to our most recent story of connection. We went to uh, Conception Bay South, the wonderful town of Conception Bay South, and met Stephanie and Caitlin, who had worked with Educational Passages to launch a mini boat across the Atlantic. Uh, I think it was really nice that you got to meet them and say a few words to them. Well, that was a great welcome, and Conception Bay South and the Manuals River Interpretive Centre provided a very warm welcome. I have to say the lunch was delicious. I mean, the, everything and the, the warmth of the welcome, the, the deputy mayor was there and the council met. But mainly, uh, you know, uh, Caitlin and Stephanie were the stars of the show. They put on a fantastic presentation which combined PowerPoint and drone footage and illustrations to tell their story. They were incredibly articulate. Um, and I just loved the idea uh, that educational passages promote, which is to have a school essentially... Uh, launch an unmanned vessel about six foot two meters or something yep. with a tiny little sail they launched it off the grand banks and they track it and it's a fantastic way of getting uh, young students to think about the sea to think about nautical engineering to think about the environment but also in particular to think of the sea as a as a kind of a vital almost living organisms that has its own circulation system and and changes day to day and of course they expected the boat to to go to uh, Spain, which is normally where it would go and end up. But in fact, Storm Eric shoved it far north and the boat ended up on the Ackle Islands where a fisherman retrieved it and it's now in a museum. Um, but interestingly, and I think we were both struck by the fact that um, the two students, uh, one is going into uh, oceanography and the other is going into biochemistry, both of them highly influenced by this project. I'd like to do a shout out for uh, Thomas Shepard, their teacher. Yeah. Again, you know, teachers at the right place, inspirational. He guides them to that. And we've had this really lovely connection between Newfoundland and Ireland, thanks to their their uh, boat, the Raven Castor, which was a, which was a great name for it. Uh, well, we won't go into the story where they got the name of the Raven Castor. And now they're planning the return. They are, and they're doing great work with Ackle. So they're in touch with the museum that's hosting the boat. They're going to go see their boat again. They're very excited. Um, but also they're working with a school in Ackle. They're partnering with them. So hopefully they'll have some of the same impact or legacy on those students, uh, getting them interested in ocean science, getting them interested in the environment, the way that Thomas Shepard was able to do that for them. Yeah, no, it was, it was, a, really, it was a really inspirational project. And of course, it... it, it as, as we need to do, it just sensitizes people to the ocean, how vital it is to our future in the context of climate change, uh, the damage we do to it in, and the need uh, to care for it, you know. So having these little boats bop around the place kind of remind us of that. But they also remind us of the, the, the maritime history, you know, of, of sailing and, 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 and uh, by, by, by sail, by steam. Uh, across the Atlantic, and and that's the primary way of of connecting us, you know. But yeah, that was that was a great that was a great project, and again, such a such a warm welcome, you know. And talking about the the maritime history, another great connection we had then was a wonderful visit to the Marine Institute at Memorial University, and meeting with the team there who mm. do fantastic training on uh, how to captain a ship, how to survive a helicopter crash, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And you have a number of Irish partners. Um, 
but yeah, I think we both found that really interesting getting into the rig and seeing what it looks like, you know, in this, this full setting of what a sea looks like and how to follow a ship. Yeah, it was like a Hollywood scene because they have the they have the simulators like on these hydraulic legs and and you're standing in these things, even though it's just a video screen moving the sea, you actually start to think the damn thing is moving. But thankfully, they didn't start them up because I think I would have been seasick almost immediately. But they're the great, uh, yeah, great, um, very dramatic. Um, but also a great conversation about the connections they have with Ireland and how uh, we might be able to build those because obviously between Ireland, you know, the the Atlantic is is uh, a body of water surrounded by you know the the perimeter which which is Ireland essentially in Canada. So uh, there's a great connection there. We also had, of course, because it's an official visit, uh, we met with the Lieutenant Governor, um, and uh, she was uh, she was very warm and welcoming. We had a very good conversation with her she's done a lovely thing the um the heart garden yeah um which is a kind of a i don't know how would you it's kind of a focal point for reflection yeah uh about the terrible history of the residential schools and the impact on the indigenous but i think it's also a place for everybody to go to and reflect and i think that was a really nice thing for her to have done and curate you know Absolutely. Really beautiful space. Um, and I think really she had a lot of respect for the truth part of tr truth and reconciliation, which is really important for us to hear. It's something that we're still trying to work on. So to be able to talk to people like the lieutenant governor about her perspectives is yeah. always helpful for us. And I, I heard that there was a, well, she told me there was a VIP who had arrived the day before. <laughs> um, <laughs> Prince Charles, of course, has made that uh, uh, reconciliation and kind of a theme of his visit, which was uh, which was nice to see as well. Um, uh, Premier Fury, of course, we had a great meeting with him, um, and strong Irish connection there, um, and a warm welcome. Um, Minister Crocker was also at that meeting, and again, great proposals for us to cooperate on direct air links and tourism, but also the cable station. We met Minister Parsons, the Minister for uh, um, Industry, Energy. Technology, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, what are they, the other? Oh, the, of course, Danny Breen, the mayor of St. John's as well. Huge Irish connection, of course, yeah. with a name like Breen. I think he was a bit envious of all his brothers who had got to Ireland and he hadn't. So I was happy to invite him, along with the Premier, of course, on official visits to Ireland, you know. Um, but yeah, it was kind of back to back, uh, back to back, but really warm welcomes. I think that was one of the thing I noticed was even in the official meetings, there was still that Irish warmth, that sense of humor. And, uh, of course, a big thank you to Thomasina Barry in Newfoundland protocol for her well abled handling of everything and making sure we got from place to place. Yeah, she was great. And uh, Graham, our driver as well, who was, uh, who was a gentleman and a scholar getting us around the place, you know. But also thanks to you, Sally. I mean, you do all the logistics and the hard work. I just get pointed in the right direction and say, what's next, you know. You do all the talking, so I think I, I do all the work <laughs> <laughs> during the actual visit. <laughs> well, no, it was, a, it was a great pleasure. And again, yeah, it's that sense of warmth and friendliness. As soon as they know you're from Ireland... You know, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, uh, so are we. It's basically the kind of exactly. response you actually get. And know? on that, I just want to talk about the Benevolent Irish Society of uh, St. John's, who do fantastic work in Newfoundland, but also hosted a wonderful reception for us and who we were lucky enough to meet with. So I guess what was your, your uh, experience with them and how did you find working with that group? Well, I think, you know, isn't it amazing when you think about an organization that established itself in 1806 and was probably doing informal work anyway, 
uh, before that. Um, and they've, 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 you know, back in 1806, I mean, there was a lot of discrimination against Catholics. I mean, the prevailing ethos amongst the, the kind of governing elite, uh, because there is a big English population in Newfoundland too, uh, is Protestantism. And we forget sometimes today of the depth of sectarian division between Catholics and Protestants. Uh, the Irish weren't able to own land, so what did they do? They kind of went off and took small holdings and developed them, but couldn't develop them too much in case they lost them. Um, so you have this, uh, you know, the Irish, you know, collectively securing their own their own future and their own security in 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 certain areas in Newfoundland, but it can't have been easy. So for them to assert themselves and create a benevolent Irish society, which is about welfare and well-being. Uh, what a legacy, and and continued uh, today by uh, you know uh, Jim Conroy and and uh, Kieran and and the officers. Um, it's been it's been great to have them there during the pandemic. I know they helped uh, make connections with people, but it's also been tough on the organisation as well. The pandemic because you know even even now people are reluctant to gather and to get together. So it was really a, a very warm welcome. The reception was great, even though we were three and a half hours late. Thanks we won't to, name the airline. <laughs> we won't name the airline that caused our delay. Um, but we got a very warm welcome uh, at, when we did finally arrive at Harvey Hall and on uh, at 10 o'clock at night. And, and again, just uh, meeting them first off, actually, I think brought it home. It was like honestly being home and, yeah. and meeting Irish people. And, um, and the music as well. We walked into, you know, Irish traditional music, which is the, I mean, that's the interesting thing. We had Aoife Green here in March. And uh, one of the things that she told us was that a lot of uh, songs came to Newfoundland and they never came back. So they have a specific kind of Irish tribe that doesn't even exist in Ireland anymore. And she's recovered traditional Irish songs that were lost in Ireland because because of the famine you know, yeah. and, and retrieve there, which was great to see. So, yeah, we had a very good follow-up conversation with them towards the end of our, our, our visit where, um, you know, in terms of supporting them through Immigrant Support Program funding and and having a program to encourage more members and, you know, people who are just interested in Ireland or, or just visitors to Newfoundland, the Benevolent Irish Society would, would always give them a warm welcome and, and tell them a very interesting history, you know, so... We look forward to meeting them when we uh, go back. I think we've got a very good list, by the way, uh, of follow-up. So we have a great, we have a rationale for a return visit, which I think we're all keen to, we're all keen to do. Absolutely, and we'd encourage anybody listening: if you haven't been, go. If you've been before, go again. Go again. Um, what was your What was your highlight, Eamon? See, that's a tricky question and almost impossible to answer <laughs> diplomatically. <laughs> Um, I the perfect I, answer. Well, I tell you what, I will. I'll, I'll I'll put it out there. I was fascinated by the cable station. Yeah. I just felt. I mean, Tara did a fantastic. I had no idea how the impulse was turned into information, and it was a, a galvanizer that that flipped a mirror left and right and made a signal. So you, these guys in a darkened room interpreting this, um, but the gizmos and the thing they put it through. But then also the fact that. As the decades wheel by into the 20th century, you can actually see the nub of a cable from the Azores and the nub of a cable from somewhere else, and they would switch a copper lever and connect these two. And you're thinking, my God, all of these cables from all around the oceans of the world are popping up here on this panel. And then it actually is quite complicated in terms of they have to earth it, they have to do... I mean, it's not easy. It's not just an electric signal. It's got all kinds of complications on it. So... Yeah, I would certainly say if you do go, 
to, to Newfoundland, go to Heart's Content and take that tour. It really is an eye opener, you know. And um, so, yeah, I think I would have to say I would be I would, I would be back there again, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really it, it's also the things. Well, we did a little quick skate up to Signal Hill where Marconi uh, mm. did the first radio signal. Marconi with his Irish mother of the Jemison Whiskey dynasty, which exactly. was really an interesting connection too. So uh, we were in heart's content and we saw the cable station and then we went within two hours around Signal Hill. So we took in both forms of, of, of telecommunications as it were. Yeah, but yeah, I would certainly say the, the heart's content museum. Um, but it's also where we didn't get to which is the appeal for the next one. We didn't get to the Irish Loop. We didn't get to St. Mary's. We didn't get to the south part of the island. And we didn't get to what is apparently absolutely glorious, which is the, the, the kind of the long mountains on the western side. And where I will have to definitely get to, which is Lance um, where the Vikings landed and had a settlement. And the Vikings, of course, uh, in 1000 AD were the first humans that we know of to cross the Atlantic. And in doing so close the loop in terms of human circumnavigation of the world. It was an amazing achievement. Um, but it was an eye-opener for me when I, I looked up. I said, maybe we could take a quick <laughs> run up there. <laughs> so I looked it up on the internet and said, well, St. John's to Lonce Meadow, it's an 11 and a half hour journey. I Newfoundland mean, is big. It's evident, though, that we've both been in Canada for some time now, and 11 and a half hours doesn't seem quite so ludicrous anymore. Was when mm. I first moved here, anything um, over two yeah. hours was a no for me. That's true. I often hear Canadians go, oh, yeah, 15 hours. You get that <laughs> done a day. I'm going, what? You must be kidding. So, But anyway, yeah, the, the next time, definitely get up get up there if we can, you know. So, yeah. But yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great trip and a real highlight. And I'm, I'm delighted that there were so many... Uh, things that we can follow up on to 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 um, to build a relationship, you know, and of course have reasons to go back again. Absolutely, and uh, for me, I think the highlight was the people, which is a very diplomatic answer. But uh, everyone we met was so kind, so welcoming, and even organizing the trip. Anytime I called somebody, there was never any hesitation. It was just, how can we help, and how much do you want to do? So I just like to thank everyone from from all of the towns we went to for their help with that, and uh, our honorary consul Mark Dobbin, who uh, was fantastic to meet, such a good representative for uh, Ireland, but also for I think Newfoundland across Canada. Yeah, Mark has been a great honorary consul. You know, he's he's um, he's a businessman. He's an angel investor. But he's also a very quiet philanthropist who quite, you know, he does genuinely do discreet uh, philanthropy, helping helping organizations out. And uh, we're very proud to have him as our as our honorary consul. I know he works very quietly in the background at all different kinds of levels, including politically, um, to advance our, our objectives and, and Irish heritage in Newfoundland. So a big thank you to Mark and indeed for his hospitality. It was great. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, thanks so much for talking to me about Newfoundland, Eamon. And uh, yeah, we definitely hope to be back. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I hope you join us again soon.